0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I try to learn something new every day, and I have just learned my new thing for today. I didn't know that there was... Some, such a thing called the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I didn't know what Duke's Mayo was. Apparently, there and you see, go figure. I apparently there is a brand of mayonnaise called Duke's Mayo. Who who would have thought? Gru, did you have you ever heard of Duke's Mayo? Uh, I've never heard of it in my life. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of it. And who knew that they had a football bowl? I mean, who who associated with them? But I, I guess the, the bottom line is, if you're looking for advertising and brands awareness, I had no clue that there was a Duke's mayonnaise. And now that the Wisconsin Badgers are playing in the Duke's mayo bowl, it did prompt me to figure out, huh, what, what, what could that possibly be? Oh, it's Duke's mayonnaise. So at least me... My producer, grew, and anybody listening to me right now, if you've never heard of Duke's Mayo before, you know that there is such a thing as Duke's Mayonnaise.
2: I wonder what the trophy is. Is it a large
0: (laughs) jar of mayonnaise, or is it a
1: large, like, Stanley Cup filled with mayonnaise? (laughs) That I I have no idea. But up until three minutes ago, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Duke's Mayonnaise. So at least... Now, I don't know if it's necessarily going to motivate me to... I like mayonnaise. I like a little bit of mayonnaise and stuff, but... I, it's, I don't know if it's going to motivate me to go buy a jar of Duke's mayonnaise, but nonetheless, the Badgers are playing in the Duke's mayo bowl. So there you go. All right. Crime continues to spread. The The, the People's Republic of Shorewood, of course, has been plagued with criminal activity, and, and my belief is it's kind of a spillover from Milwaukee as as criminals in Milwaukee decide, let's let's move out to Shorewood and let's let's find more affluent people that we can rob and take advantage of. By the way, you know, weeks after Chris Abley was carjacked or attempted carjacking, still um, no word on his assailants being caught or captured. So you think maybe these people are going to get away with it. And again, it's scary. Not that it's the former county executive who got carjacked, but the, the driving your vehicle on Capitol Drive close to Oakland Avenue, 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening, and a bunch of people, a couple guys, run you off the road, essentially, get out at gunpoint and try to steal your car, uh, pretty darn scary, and they can't catch them. Well, here's the latest stories. The uh, Shorewood Police Department reminding people to lock their parked vehicles and not keep any keys inside them three vehicle thefts this weekend now it always used to be that years and years ago people would leave their cars running in in order to warm them up when it was cold. Well, I I think we've all learned, even if it's in your own driveway, you can't do that anymore because there are bands of hoodlums who just cruise around looking for that target of opportunity, and you leave your car in your driveway unattended, running for 30 seconds, and boom, it can be gone. But here's the deal. Three car thefts over the weekend in Shorewood, a 2017 Hyundai Elantra taken from Murray Avenue between 7 at night on Friday, 10.30 a.m. Saturday. 2016 Kia Optima, taken from a driveway on Menlo Boulevard during the same period of time, broken glass was found at the scene. So... I don't know if the keys were left in the vehicle. In both those cases, the cars weren't running, but uh, they found glass at the scene. So in that case, I don't even think the car was unlocked. They broke the car to get in, and then a 2007 Honda Civic taken from Morris Boulevard, again, the vehicle may have been taken with a spare key, which was kept inside. So somebody breaks into the car and then finds the spare key. Police add that the Hyundai and Kia may have been targeted as part of an ongoing rash of thefts involving these vehicles models in the milwaukee area so who knew that there was duke's mayo and, and who knew that Hyundai's and kias are apparently all right at the top of the list for people to rip off hmm, go figure all right other big news and we were talking about it um during the the newscast if you want to understand what a dumpster fire crime fighting in the city of milwaukee is you you have nothing to do but look at um, what's going on over the course of of the weekend. Now this happened after I got off the air on Friday, but you know Alfonso Morales who. And I, I sent out a tweet about this. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. Al Morales, who, at least in my opinion, was one of the best police chiefs the city of Milwaukee has had in 30 years, was unceremoniously dumped by the Clown Car Act that is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. This came after pressure from some of the politically correct panderers on the Milwaukee Common Council who decided to gee, they wanted to, they wanted to side with certain members of their constituents against law and order in the city of milwaukee to their eternal shame well anyhow the the fire and police commission dumps morales it was apparent at the time i said so at the time other commentators said so at the time that the procedure they used to fire him was let's put it like this extremely extremely lacking in the constitutional and procedural safeguards that morales had and as i said at the time that the question for the taxpayers of the city of milwaukee is going to be, how big a check are you going to have to write to Al Morales as a result of his his discharge? Well, what happens is, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, Christopher Foley, rules on Friday that that Al Morales was improperly terminated. He orders him reinstated. One, one of the aldermen, Bob Bauman, and I have been a critic of Bauman over the past, but you know, on Saturday, he said, look, this has to end. I think the citizens of Milwaukee are fed up with the ineptitude of the Fire and Police Commission, and now because of the kangaroo court that they conducted back in August, we either have a problematic chief restored as chief or we're going to pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars to go away now let's be honest here he, he's been ordered reinstated the fire and police commission doesn't want him back the mayor has sat Twiddling his thumbs on the sidelines. And the effect of all this is going to be they're going to have to write him a huge check. That, that's the bottom line. Um, so as, as I sent on my Twitter account, you know, the Fire and Police Commission is a group of incompetent political hacks who have no clue how to reduce crime in Milwaukee. If you really wanted to see if you really want to know what should happen in the city of Milwaukee, the Fire and Police Commission should go. Morales is the one that should stay. Now, that's not going to happen. I I understand it. And the Fire and Police Commission is going to continue to blunder along, and crime in the city of Milwaukee is going to continue to go unchecked. Who in their right mind would want to work for those goofs? I mean, that's just kind of the bottom line of all this. And at the end of the day, there's going to be a huge check that has to be written. Um, Al Morales' attorney, Frank Gimble, who was on the Fire and Police Commission... Himself, for five years, has a meeting with the city attorney, and the new city attorney, who is way, 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 did I say way, way over his head in these things. Apparently, they they had a meeting, and the way it's described is they they don't have an agreement as to how much this case is worth. It's kind of like, okay, let's give Sterling Brown a ton of money, but Al Morales, we're we're not going to pay him what we're going to have to ultimately pay him if this case gets litigated. So as it stands now, there is a court order saying that Al Morales must be returned as the police chief. Just think about this. Court says, we want him back. The fire and police, he has, he's entitled to his job, he has to go back. The fire and police commission has already illegally fired him once. They've got the acting police chief who was elevated after Morales was unceremoniously dumped. He's retiring at the end of the week. They've got a new acting police chief who's supposed to take over and you've got People who've applied for the job, and they can't hire a new police chief to their choosing because the Fire and Police Commission is deadlocked. What a cluster, you know what? And and meanwhile, record numbers of homicides, violence in the city of Milwaukee. I'm telling you, seriously, Fire and Police Commission, we should just recognize this experiment does not work. It should be disbanded. The mayor, in my opinion, should be able to hire the police chief. And then the mayor gets held accountable if he screws up. But the Fire and Police Commission has just, I think, clearly demonstrated itself completely incapable of dealing with the needs of the city. And mark my words, this is going to cost the taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars because... The fire and police commission was given to political pandering. What did Gene Miller say? Uh, Frank Gimble's statement was it says they're selecting members of the fire and Com- police commission based on zip code, not IQ. That's apparently Frank Gimble saying it, not not me. But <clears throat> it, it let me put it like this: you don't get the idea that it's the brightest bulbs on the fire and police commission. Okay, when we come back, there are protests. There are protests. And then there was Friday night's protest. We will discuss. Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, um, since last spring, there have been a series of marches, protests, which have been conducted in various areas. There are, there's a relatively small, by small I mean dozens of, a group that that they call themselves the People's Revolution, and they have been persistent. These are the people that have showed up and shut down Mayfair Mall, and were instrumental in some of the protests in Wauwatosa involving former police officer Joseph Mensa, including the one that I think everybody would agree got out of control at the um, former residence of uh, Mensa's girlfriend. But 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 the group, if nothing else, give give them credit. They they are out there. They are persistent. So Friday night in West Dallas, at Candy Cane Lane. Now, I think everybody probably knows about Candy Cane Lane. Candy Cane Lane is a a neighborhood in West Dallas, and every Christmas time, the vast majority of the residents, if not all the residents, get together, and they kind of go over the top, Decorating their their houses and it, it's a it's a major league light show. It is extremely cool. It's been going on since 1984. Candy cane lane raises money for the Mac Fund Midwest Athletes Against Childhood Cancer. Um, so far in a pandemic year, they, they've raised more than 121 thousand uh, dollars. The displays again, it's West Dallas, just a little bit north of Oklahoma Avenue. And, and what people do is th- there's not a charge to go through it, but you go there and, and people like donate money so it's a very very good cause so on friday the protesters took their march to candy cane lane the group walked through candy cane lane chanting black lives matter and black children matter while marching through the streets holding signs one participant was dressed as santa claus um West Dallas, the, the police were, were there. They monitored the area. They said it, it was not out of control. They didn't need to make any arrests or citations. We had no reports of violent activity. But the group had decided that we're going to target Candy Cane Lane for our protest. Now, organizers said, well, we weren't really protesting Candy Cane Lane, and we weren't protesting the MAC Fund. We were just trying to reach the audience that Candy Cane Lane has. All right. That, to me, in some respects, is a distinction with, without a difference. Now, look, I I appreciate that you have a First Amendment right to protest. I, I got it. And as long as you're doing it in a lawful fashion and you're not destroying stuff, that, that's all well and good. So this isn't about whether or not this protest group had the right to go out and, and to stage their protest at Candy Cane Lane, which is a, a charity fundraiser. Right? It's not about do they have the right to do it. The question is, is it the right thing to do? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Now they say, hey, we we were out there because we, we just, we wanted to reach the audience that Candy Cane Lane has. All right. We, we wanted to bring our message to the people that are there looking at Christmas lights and trying to feel good about the holiday season. Okay. All right. You think that's the message? that really came through to the people that were at Candy Cane Lane. In other words, it's not a question you have a right to be there, but were you really going to... Bring people around to your cause when people are out there with their kids wanting to look here. Here's Christmas. This is what we want to see. And you've got, you know, a few dozen protesters that are walking through the streets screaming Black Lives Matter and Black Children Matter. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. It's not about do they have the right to be there. Yeah, they do. Nobody got arrested. That's good. It's about whether or not. It's a smart thing. Taking your message to that location at this point in time really helps advance your cause. And my answer would be no. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss
0: in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, it's sort of like... That this protest at Candy Cane Lane, it's sort of like people who say there's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, anybody that says that has never had bad publicity. And for people who say, well, it's drawing attention to their cause... Well, yeah, but it's not necessarily the kind of attention that you want. Uh, here's a couple of texts before we go to the phones. Jeff, the peaceful protest does nothing to advance the cause of Black Lives Matter or positively influence anyone. It's very sad because all of these businesses in the area will be detrimentally affected. Um, alright, um, Jeff, the way protesters are winning right now is by intimidation. If they protest at Candy Cane Lane, people don't visit and they win, but they alienate more people who might Might be otherwise sympathetic, in which case, um, they lose. Jeff, do they think at all about a time and a place where certain things are appropriate? All they do is turn more and more people off from their message by doing it when and where they do. This is not the place or the time. Yeah, see, that's, I guess that, that is the point. If I've set aside, hey, my, my, my grandkids have wanted, have wanted us to take them to Candy Cane Lane for the whole month to see the signs. Okay, we're we're gonna go to Candy Cane Lane. We're gonna get there. Well, okay, they they want to see Candy Cane Lane. They don't want to have people screaming black lives matter and black children matter. And again, it it's not that it's illegal. It's just time and place, I would argue inappropriate. And my guess is the vast majority of people who were there were not suddenly said, Oh, I'm now aware and hip to this cause. It was like, I can't believe the, my sense would be, I can't believe these protesters decided to come and walk through, um, you know, this and disturb everybody else's time. Uh, Jeff, they did the same thing to us on Halloween. We had a nighttime trick or treat in a Tosa neighborhood and I felt we were terrorized. The children were terrorized. People jumping out of cars, dressed in clown suits and screaming. The four-year-old kids across the street were terrorized. All right. Well, um, Jeff, definitely not the place to protest. What I'm most disturbed about is that none of the local news stations carry this story. So I thank you for bringing this up. Yeah, see, again, this is the problem that is out there. It's like we're trying to we're trying to get our our message across so what we're going to do is we're going to do it really in your face i mean what's wh- what what is the limit is there any sort of limit and again i understand you're trying to bring attention to a particular issue but If you're doing it in such a way that the people who are getting your message are less inclined to take you seriously and more inclined to say oh my gosh all these people did by staging their protest was ruin an evening for a bunch of other people who were you know just looking to enjoy the spirit of the holiday season and you know by the way if it deterred some people from going on friday night well, okay, that's fewer contributions for Candy Cane Lane. That's fewer contributions for the Mac Fund. And to try to split hairs and say, well, you know, our, our message really wasn't to protest Candy Cane Lane. Our message really wasn't to protest the Mac Fund. I, I, I understand. I understand you can say that, but I think most people don't necessarily interpret that. Jeff, they're hurting a good cause. Who wants to take their grandchildren somewhere where people are going to be yelling? Um Yeah. Jeff, how about taking the protests to Planned Parenthood where children are aborted every day in this country? Um Well, those are the different issues that are out there. The protest was at Candy Cane Lane. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got arrested. It was peaceful. But like I say, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And once again, the People's Revolution demonstrated with their protests that they don't understand the distinction between the two.
0: Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Uh, one final thought on the Candy Cane Lane protest. The texter says, Jeff, this was definitely not the place to protest. What I'm most disturbed about, though, is that none of the local news stations carried the story. Thank you for bringing it up. If I had small children in the car, I would think that they would have been frightened and it would ruin what was meant to be a family event. Why does the local media not cover certain news stories? And my response is, in my opinion, covering this protest, for example, in a negative fashion, is very, very politically incorrect. And local TV stations are especially reluctant for whatever reasons to do anything that may be perceived as politically incorrect and i can give you countless examples of that it's always been the case but it's gotten a lot worse in the last year or so and and again you just have to understand that okay It appears that Congress is going to pass a stimulus bill, a second stimulus bill. We're going to talk about some of the details in a little bit. Instead of a $1,200 check for every American who makes a blow a certain amount, it's going to be a $600 check. We'll discuss that. It's going to extend unemployment benefits. Instead of $600 extra a week, it's going to be $300 extra a week for a limited time. And and there's various other financial things that are built in. But tucked in the bill tucked in the bill in a provision that has little to do with the ongoing pandemic. Arguably, you can say maybe this, maybe it's kind of related, but it's not really. But surprise medical bills, surprise medical bills are now going to be outlawed as a result of this stimulus bill. What is a surprise medical bill? Surprise medical bills, as a general rule, are... Are bills that you receive. You go to, let's say, you have health insurance. You go to an in-network provider. All right, I've I'm, I've got I've got my insurance through I've Ascension. Let me just pick one out of the, the clear blue. Ascension is is an in in network provider. And of course, I think everybody understands, if you don't, there, for most health insurance, there's, there's in network providers and there's out of network providers. The in network providers are generally healthcare providers that have cut deals with your insurance company so that, and your employer, so that if you use those facilities, you get a discount. That, that's the way it typically works. Similarly, an out-of-network provider, you can go to that network provider, but the deductibles are going to be different, the the costs that you're going to have, the copays might be different, etc. So, if you want to save money, you want to go to an in-network provider. Okay, the problem is something like this. Let's say you're going to get a colonoscopy at at Ascension And your, you know, your your regular doctor is is through the Ascension system, and I'm I'm just picking Ascension now. The Clear Blue. This happens with all the providers. So your your provider, your your doctor is through Ascension. He says, okay, well, I'm going to send you to. I, I want you to go to this Ascension hospital. All right. So you you get there. What happens is the doctor who's going to be performing the colonoscopy, he's in network too, or she's in network too, but the anesthesiologist isn't. So all of a sudden, you go through the procedure. You think you have a rough idea of what it's going to cost and what's going to be covered by insurance. You go through the procedure, and all of a sudden, you get this bill out of the clear blue a month later from the anesthesiologist who as it turns out isn't in network now you didn't know who the anesthesiologist was going to be you you if you met the anesthesiologist it was like 15 minutes before your procedure you didn't investigate this but reasonable people wouldn't you say yeah my my doctor's ascension went to an ascension hospital colonoscopy was performed by a you know an ascension surgeon I, I didn't even think to check that the anesthesiologist would be out of network and now I've got a bill for five thousand dollars. It happens a lot of times in insurance in, in emergency room situations. You go to the, the, the emergency you go to the emergency room at Freightert and again I, I'm just picking these examples. I'm not trying to single out hospitals. You go to the Freightert emergency room and you you think hey, okay, i my, my my regular doctor is a Freighter doctor um, freighter is covered it's in network in my hospital in my insurance thing you go thinking that uh, gee, I think I'm having a heart attack or, or whatever you go to the freighter emergency room all right you, you get in there you get treated by a doctor who is not part of the in-network now you're not you know when, when you are sitting in the emergency room waiting to be seen you're not screening the doctors you want the next available doctor to come and, and make sure you don't die right and then A couple weeks later, you get this bill for thousands and thousands of dollars because it turns out that the doctor that you saw was out of network. Well, okay, this, this bill, as part of the stimulus bill, um, they have, they have outlawed this practice. Instead of charging patients the out of network costs, health providers are now required to work with the insurers to settle on a fair price it applies to doctors hospitals um, and air ambulances although not ground ambulances now the changes don't take into effect into 2022 so there's still the possibility for these surprise bills in 2021 but um, you know w- what they're finding is that millions of us receive these types of surprise bills each year with as many as one in five emergency room visits um, resulting in such a charge. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think I think this is long overdue. Now, whether it belongs in the stimulus bill or not, that's a whole different story. But as far as a practice that I think is incredibly anti-consumer, unfair, and borderline, forget borderline, almost flat-out deceptive, I think this is this litigation this legislation is long overdue and my guess is you know maybe you have been caught up in this you think you're doing everything right gee i've got to get the colonoscopy fine my freighter doctor said get the colonoscopy we've scheduled it through freighter i'm going to the freighter facility it's going to be performed by a freighter doc i get there how do i know whether the anesthesiologist is part of the network or not i haven't met him till that day or her till that day And then suddenly I find a procedure that I thought was going to cost me $2,000 or whatever. Now I find it's going to cost me $4,000 or $5,000 because one of the moving pieces in my procedure happened to be out of network. Yeah, they shouldn't be able to do that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You shouldn't get these sort of surprise bills. If you're making the decision to go to an out of network facility, that's fine. You take on those financial burdens and there might be all sorts of reasons why you do it. But if reasonable people would believe that this procedure should be in network, the fact that somebody you have no contact with until 10 minutes before the procedure turns out to be out of network, you shouldn't have to pay for that. 855-616-1620. Have you had this happen to you, and is this legislation good? My answer is it's really good. We discuss in a moment.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: 855-616-1620. Worse yet, Jeff, about these surprise medical bills is they don't even bill you for months after everything else is paid. We've had this happen several times over the years, raising two boys involved in sports. Dave and Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well. Thank you, sir. Okay. Is this a good bill? Do we need to stop these surprise yeah. medical bills? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that happened to me on, on several different occasions also. Uh, I had to go into emergency or, or whatnot. Um, and it was at Aurora, and I love Aurora. Yeah, and uh, also, I get this this bill, and I go, "What the heck is this?" It, it's a, I, I mean, I go to you, you know, I go to you guys all the time, blah blah blah, that type of thing, and plus, uh, um, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 I've yeah. So what I do is I call up and I say, "They go, well, you know, the so and so was was not networked." I go, "That's not my problem. It's yeah. your hospital." Yeah. you know, I mean, we went back and forth, and finally you know, if you stay out, you got to stay on it. I mean, right. that's the whole thing. If you stay on it, they wound up covering it, you know, that right. type of thing. Or they, you know, the insurance covered their portion and, and Aurora, you know, took care of the rest. Right. I said, just, you know, make it go away on my bill. You know, the one thing that people should know though is with, with ground-based ambulances, that doesn't necessarily work all the time. They, they, right, they,
1: and and, really and I'm glad you mentioned it. this. That, that and and ground-based amb- ambulances are excluded from this bill. So there, you can you can yeah. still get the yes. surprise medical stuff. No, they, they still call. But this, I mean, see th- th- this happens. Th- this happens. A lot. Um, Jeff, does the legislation work retroactively? I was told a procedure I had in October would be covered. Then I got a surprise $15,000 bill as a Christmas gift. Now I might have to drop out of school. No, it's not retroactive. And a matter of fact, my understanding is it doesn't even go into effect until 2022 for, for a year. Why that is, I don't know. Cause obviously, like, the, the hospitals and some of the medical associations, they, they don't want this. Because the medical associations want to get the doctors that aren't in network. They they want to get get them paid as much as possible. But I just think this is, I I think this is deceptive from the point of consumers. Again, I mean, it's, it's like I say, it's one thing if you go into a grocery store and you decide I want to buy the Hellman's mayonnaise instead of the Duke's mayonnaise and Hellman's is a little bit more expensive or vice versa, you know what those costs are going to be. You can competitively shop. In this case, it's completely surprised and it's completely hidden because, you, you you go into the hospital thinking that, okay, this is all covered, and then you find out that one of the moving parts in the procedure is out of network, and reasonably you had no chance of investigating that. Let's talk to Peggy in Whitewater. Hi, Peggy. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. What do you
2: think?
3: Um, I am a chiropractor, and that is a can of worms because the many of the providers – are not allowed to be providers under that health insurance. There's, there's, They can apply, but they won't be. Maybe what they should do is petition the insurance companies to make sure themselves that, okay, you're doing this procedure in this hospital. It needs to be covered under that health insurance, no matter what. It's in that hospital. Mm-hmm. And I under, I, I'm assuming that you're meaning only um emergency. Is that? Is no, that no,
1: case? no. This, apply, this applies to any out-of-network procedures done at in-network places. I, the one that I think comes up the most is like anesthesiologists, you know, who are out-of-network, right. but people don't know that. You know, no, so I think it applies to, it's not just the emergency room. Emergency rooms might be the most common. I think some of the biggest ticket items, though, are, like I say, things like anesthesiologists and all.
3: Right, and if, Normally, under your health insurance, say, for instance, it's covered by Aurora, then absolutely, that doctor is performing a, a, yeah. a procedure at Aurora that needs to be covered by your health insurance, period. Yeah, we see, and, and that's and, and that's that why, that is, and
1: because, like, in your example, we, we, let's, we'll take Aurora, I don't mean to pick on Aurora, but whatever. You know, you go, I no. mean, I, okay, I had I had a colonoscopy a year and a half ago at Freighter. So what happens is, before the colon, I mean, and I'm referred by my Freighter doctor, the facility, I go to Freighter. It's going to be a Freighter surgeon. The Freighter, the, the they call me, you know, ahead of time to verify the insurance. So, I mean, I I, I certainly go there. My insurance yeah. has been ver- verified. Nobody's told me, oh, I, and, and this didn't happen to me, but I'm, I'm just theoretically, nobody told me, hey, right. you know, the anesthesiologist, that's going to be out of network. Because I would have said, wait a minute, <laughs> and then let's call this whole thing right. off and figure out another way. Yeah yeah
3: yeah my insurance is dean i know i have to go to a dean clinic there's uh where i am there's mercy clinics if i had mercy insurance i would know i had to go to a mercy clinic that doctor should be covered while performing any procedure at that facility
1: a- absolutely no thank- thanks if that
3: bill said that
1: right right no thanks to call no i i i know i I, I agree. Now I, I understand what you're saying, especially like with some chiropractors and stuff. There's people who that, that they're for whatever reasons. I don't know if they don't choose to be in the network or they can't get in the networks or whatever. But but my point is, you can't have or you shouldn't be able to have the the quote unquote surprise billings. And by that, I mean that the fact that people think that they're going to be in network and then suddenly they, they find out that they're not. Now, if you make the the choice to go out of network, that that's great. Um, a lot of text. Jeff, it happened to me with the birth of my twins. The, NC, uh, the, the NICU doctors weren't in network and they were both in for over 30 days. If we wouldn't have argued, it would have been over $30,000 in additional out of network costs. After months of back and forth, they resolved it and adjusted it to it with all networks. Jeff, I had this happen to me, um, a few years ago. I had a hip replacement and the anesthesiologist was out of network. I complained to my healthcare provider. They eventually covered it, but it took months of complaining um, for me, um, yeah, Jeff, so you're saying that the bill in Congress will have the insurance company and the other network doctor try to negotiate the bill. So what if they negotiate a $5,000 bill? It now becomes 2500 you have to pay. My, my understanding is they're going to have to work it out. So, well, I guess the phrase is they have to settle on a fair price. And I, I'm assuming that that's going to be, that fair price is going to be the covered charges, you know, whatever if, and, and to me, that's the way it should work out. I mean, if you're, again, I don't mean to pick on anesthesiologists, you're an anesthesiologist working in the operating room at an, a hospital that is in-network, but you're not part of that network, I don't think you should be able to charge three or four times as much for the services that the in-network anesthesiologist would have to pay. I just don't think that that's right. Right. And if it's going to happen, it should have to be disclosed upfront and way in advance. But the way that reason they'll do it is because, like I say, if suddenly I'm told, "Jeff, you're going to have this particular procedure," everything is in network. This is what we think the cost is going to be. But oh, by the way, the anesthesiologist is not going to be in network, so that's going to be an extra X thousand dollars. My response is going to be, "Okay, well, I, <laughs> I, we, we, you have to get me a network." anesthesiologist. And if that means I have to wait a little bit, I'll I'll wait a little bit. But I'm not paying an extra few thousand dollars. But at least in that case, it's disclosed. This is the surprise that I think is so unfair. And again, I'm not sure it really belongs in a in a coronavirus pandemic stimulus relief bill. But I don't want to split hairs. I think it's a really, really good thing. Back with more in just a couple minutes.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, bottom line is, if the Packers can win their next two games... They control their destiny and they will get the only, there's only one bye this year. Normally there's two byes. They, in the, in the playoffs, uh, there's only one this year for each conference. So if the Packers win their next two games, they guarantee themselves that they will, um, that they'll, they'll get that bye, which is important. Um, if they lose one of the two games, well, they've got the tiebreaker over New Orleans, um, yeah, I'm not sure how it works out with them in Seattle. If Seattle were to win their final two games and the Packers were to lose their last two, but regardless of the Packers, they have they have their future, they have their destiny in their hands, and that's a cool way to be. I do have to admit, I, I chuckle during the newscast. You know, Frank Gimbel, who by the way is a Democrat, so it's interesting to hear Frank saying these things. I I know Frank. Frank was um, in the U.S. Attorney's office. Gosh, I want to say in the '70s, um, before he started his own law firm, and um, so we we used to have cases together and things like that, and and it is interesting that that Frank's gotten to the point where. I think you reach a certain point in your life where you just don't care what you say. And he was a member of the Fire and Police Commission, and of course he was on the he, he was, you know, instrumental with the, the convention you know bureau and things like that. Um, but it is interesting he represents Al Morales, and you can tell that he's extremely frustrated with the Fire and Police Commission and the, the illegal and unlawful things that they say. But I, I do love that line he says to uh, Gene Miller about how well it appears, back when I was on the Fire and Police Commission, you had people that were selected because of their IQ not by virtue of the zip code that they live in so what does he mean by that well i think it's pretty clear he says that uh, what we've got here is political correctness where do you come from you know what you know what particular you know segment of the community are you going to appease that's what gets you on the fire and police commission not how smart you are that's how i interpret Frank Gimbel's comment on that, and you know what? He he might be on to something there. Okay, the coronavirus vaccine is is being is starting to be distributed. And you know we, we've talked a couple times on this program about you know who gets to be first in line and all those different sorts of situations, um, and and I think we've now agreed that it's it's been pretty much agreed that it's going to be healthcare workers, and it's going to be people in nursing homes that get it first. After that. Different states have to come up with their their own priorities, and you know one of the things that's being thrown out now is that okay, people over seventy four because we had if, if we understand that people who are older, even if you don't have an underlying health condition or you're not in a nursing home, people you know where where do you start this cutoff? So I think the next thing is going to be people over seventy four. On the flip side, though, th- that that's for people who want to get it. You know who who gets it first. The flip side is, what about people who don't necessarily want to get it? Can and should employers be able to require you to get the COVID vaccine? Now, the underlying thing here is that in healthcare, it has not been surprising over the years, Healthcare workers have been required to get a flu shot as a general rule. And the idea is because they don't want a worker that has the flu coming in, having contact with patients, for example, who are already in a compromised position and then getting the patient sick. So that's why that requirement has been put in place. As a general rule, though, employers in this country haven't, Outside again, the healthcare area haven't forced employees to get flu shots. They might have encouraged it. Maybe they, you know, when we uh, when we were owned by uh, by Scripps, they, they they would actually bring in they bring in nurses. They have a whole flu shot day that you could come in and and do that with. But they've encouraged people to get it. Well, there is a new guidance out. This is what the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission said just the other day. Employers can require workers to get a COVID-19 vaccine and can ban them from the workplace if they refuse. Public health experts see employers as playing an important role in vaccinating enough people to reach herd immunity. And um, they believe that widespread vaccinations will keep people from, from dying. Employers had been waiting from guidance to determine about whether or not they could require this. That guidance has now come out. Businesses and employers, the government says, are uniquely positioned to require large number of Americans who otherwise would not receive a vaccination to do so because their employment def- depends upon it. So the government is now saying that you can require, an employer can require the employee to get the vaccination, and if they don't, well, they can bar them from the workplace. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acenate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, obviously, this is not going to apply in a situation where you have a an employee who has some sort of, you know, medical medical risk or something like that. But it is a general guidance saying, "Hey, Um, Once the vaccine becomes widely available, employers can require it as a way of keeping uh, people inside the workplace healthy. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I have no problem when my time comes, when my turn in line comes, I have no problem getting the vaccine. And candidly, if through my employer... They made it easier for me to do that. They brought in nurses and they were administering the shots. I, I would be thrilled because it would make it easier to do that. But that's a voluntary choice that I would make if offered. All right. Should employers be able to require it? And if, if you say no, are you willing to give up your job? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Government now made it very clear that as a general rule, You can be required to get the vaccination. How do you feel about that? We discuss in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Federal government says that as far as it's concerned, employers can require employees to get the COVID-19 vaccine, even against their will. Now, if by that, I mean they can say, hey, look, as a condition of coming into the workplace, you've got to have the vaccination. If you chose not to get the vaccination, that that's great. But then you lose your job. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff. How
1: are you? I'm well, thank you. OK, is this an overreach? Should employers be able to do this?
2: I think they should be able to. They have an obligation to protect um, their other employees in that company, and um, they have a right to keep their uh, employment area healthy.
1: Yeah, I you know I I agree with you. I mean I think it's because there, there's going to be some employees who, because of health situations or whatever, that aren't going to be able to get vaccinated. So those people are always going to be at risk. Um, in addition, if you're in a workplace where you deal with the outs, where you deal with people on on the outside, um, the, you know, I think that they have a right to say, okay, well, you know, if you're going to, for example, if you're a salesperson, and you're going to be go making calls on on clients. Um, we we have a right to make sure that you're not going to infect one of those clients or something like that. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think they have a right to do it, and I think most people are probably going to get that and would be willing to do that.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, you know, most people, uh, for the most part, are reasonable. And um, you'll always have a few people that are going to, you know, say it's excessive and, you know, going to make a big deal out of it. But I think the majority of the people will go along with it.
1: Well, right. No, thank, thanks for the call. And again, the, I, I think, you know, when, when employers and workplaces are developing these different policies, I think it's got to be sort of like the flu shot thing that if you've got if you've got a medical reason to not do it, well, I mean, obviously, they're not going to, that, that raises an entirely different issue if they say, okay, we're going to put your life at risk to, to do this. But that's going to be the, that's going to be the unicorn. That's going to be the rare sort of situation. And again, if you don't want to do this, that's cool. That's fine. Nobody's going to make you do it. But what they are going to say is you, you might, want to try to find a different place to work. Jeff, what about municipalities requiring their employees, police, fire, et cetera, to get vaccinated? I see that being a significant flashpoint in local government decision-making going forward. My guess is that that is going to be the case. My my guess is that um healthcare, uh, first responders, police... Fire departments, etc are are going to be getting it. you know there was a big story I want to say it was the New York Times or the Washington Post. Some people are pushing for teachers, for example, to go to the head of the line now i 'm not sure how I feel about that, but yeah it 's these public employees. The idea being it is important to keep the schools open or get the schools open in the case of like m p s and if, if the way to do that is to require teachers to get the vaccination when it's available, um, yeah, Jeff. I work in an emergency department outside of Milwaukee, high risk area. We are not required to get the vaccination, huh? Interesting that an employer would be making that decision. I wonder. I wonder if, as this becomes more available, whether that employer is going to uh, stay with that, Jeff. Let's say. A big box retailer, Menards, for example, requires its employees. Um, can Menards uh, shoppers say, can Menards then say shoppers must have the vaccine to shop there? No, I think that that's a stretch. You can, I, I think the store requiring you to approve that you have a vaccine, that, that's a different issue and that's a bridge too far. Although I will say this, I think that one of the things that you are going to see moving forward for certain types of industries the cruise industry, for example. I think that, um, I think that you are going to have a COVID passport, and, uh, and that's my phrase that I'm using. But I mean, I think that um, for for cruise ships to continue to operate, I think one of the things that they're going to be requiring at some point in time in the future is, you know, evidence that you've been vaccinated. Um, I look, I don't know when when cruises are going to come back. For example, I don't know when international travel is going to come back. I don't know if you saw it, but over the weekend, uh, the you know, COVID has just. Spiked. It's gone through the roof in Great Britain, and in as a result, a lot of other countries have now banned people from Great Britain from from flying in. If you live in the United States and you want to fly to Paris, good luck. Um, I, I there's. Uh, uh, I think it's limited, as I understand it, to only essential workers, and then you, even then you have to quarantine. I think that that's going to, um, change. Jeff, if a person does have a medical condition to make them prove it, it might make open a big can of worms based on HIPAA laws. Well, yeah, that, that's going to be the issue, you know, that if you have to establish that, but that's government saying, Government saying that that is the case. The Disabilities Act limits employers' ability to require medical examinations like blood tests, breath analysis, and blood pressure screening. These are procedures or tests often given in a medical setting that seek information about an employee's physical or mental conditions. The administration of COVID 19 to a vaccine to a worker by an employee doesn't fit that definition, at least according to the EEOC. Jeff, nobody should have the right to tell another human to put chemicals in their body, especially not chemicals where long-term effects are not known. Okay, well, here's the point about that. You you don't have to do it. The, The employer says, if you want to work here, this is what you have to do. This is one of, this is our, our rule. Just like the employers now who require people to get flu shots. You know, if you want to work here, you have to get the flu shot. If you don't, if you don't get the flu shot, that's okay. That's, if you don't want the COVID vaccine, that's okay. That's your decision. You get to make that decision, but then you don't get to work here. That's, and see, and that's where the distinction comes in. You don't have to do it. You just have to figure out that you're going to, um, find, you know, another place of employment. Jeff, I think it's the employer's rights too, but I'm willing to bet a significant amount of money that someone is going to claim this is a policy that discriminates um well, yeah, that's that. That's that is, in course, the, the case as well. Especially since there is at least anecdotal evidence that the number of people in some of among persons of color, as a general rule, there's a greater reluctance to get the vaccine. Um, let's see, uh, Jeff. Employers should absolutely not be able to force you to take something and put it in your body that we don't even know what long form effects are. Good luck firing people if they don't take it because. Right now, there's a shortage of workers as it is, and you can't even find people. Well, that then becomes the question. That's a that is a fair question. You've got, especially in certain industries, you've got you know employers that are begging for folks. And if you say, okay, you're we're gonna we're not gonna let you work here if you don't get the vaccine. I guess the question is, and this is what it really comes down to. At the end of the day, how many people are going to make the decision not to get? The vaccine. Now, I understand some people are going to say, well, I, I don't want to go out of my way to get it. But if your employer said you've got to get it, you know, how many people are actually going to say no at the risk of my job? And if you fire me, I'm going to sue you and and think about you know how you're going to replace me. How many people are really going to do that? Or is the general reaction among 90 to 95 percent of the workplace going to be, oh, this is cool. I, I can get the shot. My employer is going to take care of whatever the costs would be. And then I'm protected and I go back to work. I mean, how many people are really going to balk at this? Well, we'll see. And I guess that's the practical thing. And by the way, just because the government says employers can require you doesn't mean that employers are going to require you. Uh, it's, it's very I could easily see, especially outside the healthcare context, I could easily see um, employers saying, you know what, we want to encourage you to do this. But we're not going to require you to do this for a lot of the reasons that, that we talked about. And again, as I often say, just because maybe it's the right thing to do or you have a right to do it doesn't mean that it's always um, it's, it's always the right thing to do or to require just because you have a right to do it. I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out, but the government is now saying employers can require it. Will they? Well, we'll discuss that at some future time. Stick around.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Well, there's always WTMJ. For anybody trying to find the Bucks games this year, first of all, you, you can hear them here on, on WTMJ. First game is Wednesday night. If you're trying to watch them on TV, as a matter of fact, the Journal Sentinel has an interesting story about this. It's a little trickier this year just because... Of all the cord cutting and how things react. Now there will be a number of Bucks games that will be on the major networks. That the first game um, Wednesday nights is, is on TNT. That the home opener against Golden State on Christmas Day Friday. See, I knew Christmas Day was Friday. I Had to think for a second there, but Christmas on Friday, the home opener is going to be on on ABC. But l- let's face it, most of the games aren't going to be nationally televised. So, h- how do you watch them? Well, if you if you have Spectrum cable, you know, and, and you've got the package that gets the Fox Sports Network, no problem. It, it's 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 there. If you have AT and T now service which is um you know partnered with AT&T and DirecTV um so you get satellite no problem unless your satellite is Dish Network cuz Dish Network doesn't carry Fox Sports Wisconsin um so uh, interestingly enough, because of, of, the different changes, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but, you know, Fox Sports Network, which used to be on a lot of streaming services like YouTube TV and Hulu plus live TV, um, no, they're, they're, it's not on there anymore. So, uh, this again, uh, affects the whole cord cutting sort of, of landscape. So, if you've got the, the AT&T Direct TV, you can get the games as before. If you've got Spectrum Cable, you can get the games. You can always get all the games on WTMJ and then it's a little bit dicier. So uh we'll, you'll have to figure that out. But I have no doubt that there's going to be a lot of people um after the first two nights games, because like I say, Wednesday night's game, if you want to watch it, it's on TNT. The second game of the year against Golden State on Christmas Day is on ABC. But after that I think there's going to be people saying, Wait, I, I want to see this game, especially in a year where we all hope that this is great things for the Bucks might make it a little bit more problematic. All right, today is always one of my favorite days of the year. This is a day every year where I mark the calendar. Now, No, not because it's four days before Christmas or not because it's, you know, nine or ten days before New Year's or anything like that. No, 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 not because it's anybody I know's birthday, although if you're having a birthday today, you know, happy birthday. No, not because it's some day that something great happened to me. This is the day I graduated from college. Don't even remember. I got out of college in three and a half years. I, I don't even remember. I, there, there wasn't, like, a graduation ceremony for, like, the winter graduates. So I don't even... Sometime in December of 19-whatever, I got my college degree. Don't even know what date that that was. Have to look at the diploma. No, 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 no. Today is always one of the days I look forward to because it is the winter solstice. Well, what, what does that mean? It means today is the shortest day as far as, as daylight. Today... Here in Wisconsin, we get about nine hours of daylight. All right. Well, you might say, well, Jeff, you, you talk all the time about how you hate winter and you hate the fact that it's dark when you get up in the morning and it's dark when you come home at night. You, you hate the fact that, you know, the sun goes down at 430 or whenever it does. Why, why is this your favorite day? It's because starting tomorrow, the daylight hours get longer, so, you know, today, about nine hours of daylight. Now, it's a gradual sort of thing, but between now and June 21st, you know, we're going to go from about nine hours of daylight to fifteen and a half hours of daylight. So I always think that this is one of those little, little like humps that, that you have when we deal with like fall and winter in Wisconsin. It's like, all right. Now, once we get past the 21st, now, look, I understand that there's, we really haven't had winter yet this year, and I understand we're going to have our, our share of it, but the bottom line is the daylight hours start increasing. Now, another little interesting trivia bit about this, because because the Earth orbits the sun, but it, the, the orbit isn't perfectly cylindrical, what ends up happening is that the, the amount of daylight hours vary where you are in the northern hemisphere. So, for example, today, here in Wisconsin, we have about nine hours of time. If you were in south Texas or south Florida, you'd have about 10 hours of daylight time. It stays lighter longer. Just uh, another reason to... Be there in, in December, I guess. But it's all these interesting things. But in any event, today is the winter solstice, and if you've ever wondered what that means, it's just essentially this is the point for practical fact. This is where daylight hours start increasing, always one of my favorite days of the year. Okay, when we come back, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, or Bah Humbug. Stick around.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Drew, producing the show today and always. It is, it is the time of year. It is the holiday season. We we know that I refer to those those things that we put uh, the light, the colored lights on, and the angel on the top, and all the ornaments. I call them Christmas trees. We know Tony Evers refers to them as holiday trees, all right? Here is my question: When you are wishing, you you want to say something good about the season. Are you one of the Merry Christmas or the Happy Holidays guys?
2: Uh, with my family, it's Merry Christmas, but if it's just strangers or anything, it's just Happy
1: Holidays. Happy Holidays. I don't want to assume. All right. Okay. Well, that's, that is, that is interesting. There was a very controversial piece that appeared in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Um, and it's written by a guy named Stephen Ford who makes the argument that all of us should stop saying Merry Christmas. Um, let's see. Let me read you a portion of it. The season of good tidings often brings an awkward moment. It's happened in the checkout line on a phone call during a quick conversation with a neighbor. I'll say Merry Christmas. The other person will respond. Happy holidays. Tranquility turns to tension. A simple exchange of well wishes ends uncomfortably. But this year will be different i 'm going to say "Happy holidays, not only in response to others but as my default December greeting, far from being an effort to avoid religious language i 've come to understand the phrase is inherently religious and respectful um, and, you know and then he goes on to talk about how you know there, there's nothing wrong with saying you know happy holidays Happy holidays doesn't have the same heft as Merry Christmas, at least not at first. The phrase is less direct and insistent, but it lends itself to a different kind of power. Um, let's see. I wish I'd come to this realization sooner. It would have spared me some awkward encounters. This season, I'm sure I'll find the tried and true words on the tip of my tongue, but I'll try to catch them first and let slip. Happy holidays instead. Is there a, really a war on Christmas? Christmas wins either way. And it, His point is that he, he thinks that By saying happy holidays, you're, you're also, you know, promoting the, the Christian ideal of, of Merry Christmas. That, I think, is kind of overthinking it. There's a couple letters to the editor, uh, today that say, you know, um, sorry, you know, we're, we're gonna continue with the, the whole idea of Merry Christmas and the people who are somehow offended or are put off by that, it's their problem, not yours. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Okay. Are you a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holidays person? And does it matter at all whether or not um, it, it de- does it depend on on who you are talking to or, or speaking with? For example, if you have friends that are Jewish, will you say Merry Christmas Or will you say Happy Holidays? Or is your default position Merry Christmas? 855-616-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, maybe I'm just old school about this, but I don't... First of all, if I did not celebrate Christmas and somebody said Merry Christmas to me, I'm not going to be offended by that. I I mean, really, I'm not going to be offended by that. I'm going to take it like this person is offering me that greeting. I say Merry Christmas. The exception to that is if I know... The person that I am speaking with does not celebrate Christmas. For example, I have a number of friends who are Jewish, I will probably say Happy Holidays to them. Um, In the Christmas card that I send out, I won't say Merry Christmas, I'll write Happy Holidays or something like that, Um, but but that's only if I specifically know the person does not observe Christmas. Otherwise, I got to admit, I don't see anything wrong with, with Merry Christmas and I continue to be a Merry Christmas um, type of guy. 855 616 1620. Jeff, Christmas is a Christian holiday. No, the tree isn't religious or the presents aren't religious, but the coming of the savior is the most important thing. And I think there's a little something that the whole world needs right now. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's it. Uh, another text. Merry Christmas. Um, Jeff, Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus. If you do not believe in that, then there should not be a Christmas. Well, okay but i guess that the point of view is for somebody who does celebrate christmas should we stop saying merry christmas to other people that's the whole point should we simply say happy holidays even though you know we celebrate christmas and again to me my default position is merry christmas 8556161620 we discuss in a moment stick around 556161620. Five, Here's an exchange with a texter. Jeff, you're not a Merry Christmas guy, not after what you just said. It's Merry Christmas all the way. Your Merry Christmas is like your politics. You try to make everybody happy instead of taking a stand. My response to that was. Sigh. And I get the response back, ha, ha, ha. But I still like you. How can you not? You seem like a really nice guy. Merry Christmas, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Merry Christmas guy. Like I say, that's my default position. Now, if I happen to know somebody doesn't celebrate Christmas, then I will say Happy Holidays. But as a general rule, it's Merry Christmas. And I don't get people who are... Offended or would be offended by having you know somebody say Merry Christmas to him. Now, this piece in the Wall Street Journal, the guy says, "Well, well, people who celebrate Christmas, they should stop saying Merry Christmas because um, by saying Happy Holidays, that's non-combative." Oh, okay, I, I just, in what world is wishing somebody a Merry Christmas? In what world is that? Even if the person that you're addressing happens to be Jewish or happens to be agnostic, in, in what? what world is that viewed as being combative? Let's talk to Connie in Greenfield. Connie, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi. I um, have worked for a lot of different uh, doctors of different religions, and um, so I'll say Happy Hanukkah.
3: Mm-hmm. I
4: know that they're Jewish, but sure. I'm a Christian faith, and I'll say Merry Christmas. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a Happy Holidays person, but I'm also a uh, Merry Christmas! I'll say Happy Kwanzaa. I'll say Happy Hanukkah, if I know what what you yeah. celebrate. Yeah. But I also am, you know, I see nothing wrong with Merry Christmas because I am Christian and I should be able to also express Merry Christmas.
1: Well, right, and and, and it is. I mean, right. Thanks for no. And, and see, it's what you celebrate. And and I guess what really struck me about this is, well, okay, Happy Holidays is non combative. I I don't know. I mean, if if. I don't know if somebody, for example, uh, a person of the Jewish faith, somebody, for example, said happy Hanukkah to me, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't be offended by that. I mean, it's just, if, if, for example, somebody thought I was Jewish and it was like, Happy Hanukkah, Jeff, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be offended by that. I'm not thinking of that as some sort of a combative sort of thing. I mean, also keep in mind that this, while there are a large number of people out there, admittedly, who don't celebrate Christmas or don't recognize the Christian holiday, that's still not the majority in this country. Let's talk to Kathy in Beaver Dam. Hi, Kathy.
4: Hi. Um, I guess I'm not sure why Christians would be offended by having someone say happy holidays. The word holidays comes from the words holy days. Mm-hmm. And it's all inclusive to all of the uh, celebrations of different religions and cultures that are celebrated this time of year.
1: But, but look, Kathy, that's I not was, the issue. The, the, no, the question isn't, are you offended if somebody says happy holidays to you? It's the flip side. If somebody says Merry Christmas, should you be offended by that? I mean, there's nothing no, I'm not ra- offended by that. Yeah, I mean, I mean,
4: I, I think the go, I go think ahead. The Christians are, are way taking this way out of proportion. Um, you know, it's not just their celebration this year. And quite honestly, Merry Christmas is such a secular holiday that that uh, we could even take the Christianity out of the whole thing. Um, uh, it's, it's become more a celebration of greed and excess.
1: Kathy, bah humbug. Kathy, are you the Scrooge this year?
4: I'm not discouraged, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I celebrate Christmas and uh, and I respect that other people celebrate other things at this time of the year, too.
1: Got it. Thanks for the call. Okay. Well, there, there's, I mean, that, that's kind of the bah humbug approach that, well, I mean, right. I understand that people celebrate other things, but, but at the same time, if you say, if you happen to celebrate Christmas and you choose to say Merry Christmas to other people, I don't think that's combative. I don't think that that's in your face. And if, if you want to say Happy Holidays, say Happy Holidays. But this idea that, okay, we, we shouldn't, we should feel guilty about saying Merry Christmas because it's going to make some people uncomfortable. Who's going to be uncomfortable by that? Dennis in Waukesha. Dennis, you're on WTMJ.
2: Yeah, Kathy stole a little of my thunder already, but I, I want to reinforce that a bit. You know, I, yeah, the reason for the season is the birth of Christ. It is a religious holiday, no doubt, okay? But like Kathy said, you know, the whole thing has become so secularized, how can anybody be offended, no matter how you want to take it? I just.
1: <laughs> oh, you're, I, I, you're I, I, saying I, like Merry Christmas has, has lost any of its any of its religious connotation.
2: It may be meaningful for the for the Christian who celebrates it. But then again, for all the other folks you know, who just it's a secular holiday. It, well, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Yeah. So have like, a the offended-
1: right. Yeah. So have a no. Thanks to calling. So have a merry December twenty fifth.
2: <laughs> it, it, it is Christmas.
1: It, it is kind of like the the discussion over like the holiday tree or a Christmas tree. It, it it's a Christmas tree. Okay. Now we we and I understand that there's there are other religions that celebrate things. You've got Kwanzaa. You've got Hanukkah. You've got it, it's it's like. Like looking at a menorah and and trying to pretend a menorah is not a menorah. Okay, no, that, that's, that's something, you know, with the candles and all, that's, that's around, that's, that's around Hanukkah. You know, we don't have to call it something other than a menorah. That's what it is. Just like the Christmas tree that we put out there and we decorate and we adorn it, that's that's what it is. It's it's a Christmas tree. Um, Jeff, I have never met or heard anybody anywhere who's offended by the term Merry Christmas. Saying, hop, holly, saying Happy Holidays is just an inclusive term that does not presume that anybody is any particular religion, and there's nothing wrong with that. I see way more people offended by the term Happy Holidays. And then we're getting a number of wishes. Uh, Jeff? Merry Christmas to you and yours. Jeff, I'm not offended at all. I take the approach that I'm Christian, and so I would say Merry Christmas. If the person said back to me, Happy Hanukkah, that would make sense if they are, in fact, Jewish, Jeff, I don't know why we can't just be proud of what we celebrate. If someone else is Jewish and wishes me a happy Hanukkah, I would smile and wish them the same. Just as if I wish somebody Merry Christmas, it would be nice if they did the same. There's no reason why anybody should be offended by what someone else celebrates or wishes them. Right, and I I think one of the things that's cool, especially in 2020, is we need a little bit of that Christmas spirit that's out there. Jeff, it's Merry Christmas, I don't remember hearing a discussion like this around um, Easter. Jeff, this is from Bob in Arizona. This is America. It's Merry Christmas, at least the America that I remember. Um, Jeff, I was in a Denny's at midnight, and a woman got offended when the patrons all started wishing each other a Merry Christmas. I'm Jewish. I don't celebrate Christmas. Talk about spoiling the mood for a bunch of nearby people. Just go with the flow. Well, that's, that's exactly yeah, Jeff, I always say Merry Christmas to everyone. I have friends that are of all faiths um yes uh jeff should we say gesundheit or god bless you when somebody sneezes atheist sneezes are hard to discern does it really matter there is a positive wish behind both jeff i'm a merry christmas guy wouldn't be as offended if somebody wished me a happy kwanzaa or hanukkah the important thing is to understand and appreciate people wishing you joy to which the congregation says amen back with more in just a couple minutes
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Okay, that weather forecast got my attention. Now, actually, we have been very, very fortunate so far. And I I hope I'm not jinxing anything because you know that we're, we're going to get a winter. But it's been... It, it's it been remarkably, I want to say, mild so far, you know, no major snowfall or anything like that. And I'm looking at the 10-day forecast that runs through next Wednesday, and and it doesn't look like there's any major stuff out there. I think the forecast I'm looking at suggests that Sunday you, you might get about an inch or so, but it, it's not like it looks like we're going to get whumped. And actually, okay, so 40... Forty degrees today, thirty nine tomorrow, forty six on Wednesday with some showers. Um and then the bottom kind of falls out for Christmas Eve um when the seventeen is the high. Christmas Day uh the high right around twenty. But then it goes back to above freezing on, on Saturday. So look it it again it's okay you know we're going to get warm but as far as i'm concerned it's sort of like with the winter solstice the daylight hours now start getting longer so every day we get closer to spring and it's 35 or 40 degrees and you don't have three feet of snow on the ground that's a day closer to spring so just absolutely enjoy it and um, at least through next wednesday the 10-day forecast two-day cold snap thursday and friday and then again temperatures you know in in the 30s what i would describe as as seasonal so that's pretty nice all right will this have a long-term change here's the bottom line we are all getting older that's that's just kind of the reality of this, and if you look at the baby boomers, um, you know more and more baby boomers are retiring, you know, every day, and so people have their plans for retirement, and then people have their plans for later in retirement. Um, historically, what's happened is that there, there's been a, an industry that has developed in this country to deal with people a, as they age. And at some point in time, you know, it gets to be dicier whether people can stay in their homes. Now, we have a great advertiser, Miller Mobility, who, for example, they, they can come into your home and they can work with people or mom and dad or grandma and grandpa in, in figuring out ways to keep them in their homes by, you know, retrofitting the home with things. But, but for people who aren't going to do that, there, there's, there's generally a, a three-pronged approach. It starts with, you know, going into senior housing. And then it, as, as you start to need help, it goes to some sort of assisted living where you're still on your, your own, but you have people who, who help you out to do various things. And then it ultimately ends up with, with nursing homes, the more traditional nursing homes. Well, we all understand what's been going on with nursing homes this year. The fact that because the population is so vulnerable and because the pandemic is so pervasive, you know, there have been people who've been in nursing homes for, you know, the, the better part of the last nine months, who've had very, very little contact with the outside, you know, world. And this this is hitting, um, you know, America's frailest seniors in a very difficult way. Well, get this. Here's the latest numbers. Occupancy in U.S. nursing homes is down by about 15%. That That's about 200,000 residents since the same time last year. And now, now some of that is COVID deaths, but it's also a, a dramatic fall in admissions. People making the decision, hey, we, we don't want to go into the nursing homes. Um, this is having a huge effect, particularly in nursing home patients that are covered by Medicare, because that's, That's the bread and butter for a lot of the the nursing home operators, you know, the the Medicare coverage and and the guaranteed payments by the government. Um, The result of this is there's a lot of these major companies that run the nursing homes, and and they're saying, you know, we're – we're, we're worried that there is going to be a huge crunch. We're worried we might not have the money to pay the bills. Nursing home use in the U.S. has been declining gradually for years. In 2019, occupancy was 80%, which is down from 84% a, a decade, you know, earlier. So more people have been trying to find out alternative. I mean, that's been an ongoing trend, trying to find alternatives to the nursing homes, but now it's greatly Greatly accelerated with more people looking for alternatives. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is this trend going to continue? Especially given the pandemic and what's happened. Are more and more people going to be looking for alternatives, um, for, for aging grandparents or aging parents? or or themselves. Now, I you know, I have been trying to think this through and I have several friends who work in 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 senior care facilities. Uh generally speaking like doing books and things like that, you know, doing the books in the accounting departments and all. And and in general, I mean, one of the things I hear is yeah, the the admissions the, the number of residents are way down from, you know, the the heights maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. My general sense is that this is probably going to continue. I, I think this industry, on the one hand, you've got more people getting older, and you've got more people that are you know, people aging, more senior citizens, more people who are living longer, and more people with, you know, health needs and things like that. But at the same time, I think this especially as drawn out with this pandemic. I think that, you know, more and more people are going to be rethinking the decision, you know, do, do we... Do we look for, you know, a nursing home for mom or for dad or for grandma or grandpa, knowing that, you know, when these viruses break out, it, it could be a situation where they're, they're gonna be isolated for a long time. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, for the longest time, if you looked at elder care, I think people thought, okay, th- this, is, this is the growth industry. Now, at least the traditional sort of nursing homes and things, I'm not sure that that is the case at all, and you know, in all honesty. Now, my, my parents both passed away: my dad five years ago, my mom ten years ago. And they were my mom at the end was in an assisted living facility, not a, not a nursing home. But I don't, I don't know if if I had to face that decision now, as opposed to ten years ago. I don't know that I would have made the same one. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, this really hits home, the topic here, because my wife and I are dealing with just this kind of issue right now with my 90-year-old mother-in-law. Um, she was in her own apartment and a, a senior facility, and um, the isolation um, due to COVID when nobody could get in there and see her anymore, really took its toll. Then she came down with COVID and she spent some time in the hospital and uh, we pulled her out. And my wife and I tried with the help of the family, we tried to take care of her at our home, Right. but my wife and I still work. We're not retired. And it just got to the point where it wasn't going to be feasible. We had yeah. to find a place. So we got her back to the same place and she's in what they call memory care now. Yeah. But, um, we just moved her in there last Monday. But it's going to be the same thing with this COVID. They don't let any of the family go in there and see any of their any of our relatives, our elderly yeah. relatives, and it really takes its toll on the elderly.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I understand your perspective, especially if if she's got dementia related issues, which is what it sounds like. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. They they need. She it sounds like she needs more care than you and your wife can provide, even though you'd love to do it. But you're you're both working, you know. So that's, I mean, that's the catch twenty two that you're in.
5: Definitely, and it was just that it was that she needed more round the clock care than my wife and I could provide.
1: Yeah, and and that's that, that's the case. I mean, thanks to call, and that, that's you I mean. See, that's always the issue. I think one of the things that is going to happen. Is our nursing homes going to go away? No. Um, will there be a shakeout? Well, well that's that's possible. I mean, I, I swear it seems to me every time I, I'm driving through a community nowadays and I see new construction, it's either a drugstore, a bank, or it's a senior living facility. And I mean I understand these senior living facilities are being built on the idea like I say that uh, you know people are living longer and they're getting older. And and there's that's why I also made the distinction. There's different types of senior living facilities. There's there's a lot of senior communities that are out there that, that have people, they're, they're just apartment complexes and things of the like, and they have a dining hall and stuff like that. And then a lot of times you can transition, they have separate areas that are set up for assisted living, and then they have the, the nursing care, so it's more of a gradual sort of thing. And I do think that there, there's always gonna be that desire. But as far as the, the nursing home facilities, which are clearly Needed, I do think there is going to be a bit of a a shakeout. There's just no question about it, Jeff. It's not just the seclusion of home care. Um, it's five to seven grand a month for the nursing home. Um, that that's going to be one of the issues, um, Jeff. My wife manages a nursing facility, an assisted living. They just found out that one of the workers tested positive for COVID. So all the people that the worker was with are now isolated for 14 days. They're no longer having mass for Christmas. It's very depressing. Nobody is allowed to visit. Well, that's been the impact that clearly, you know, COVID has had. Jeff, have you seen the prices for assisted living? Wow. Well, I mean, not not recently, but I sure knew what the prices for assisted living were Five years ago and ten years ago, just yes, nursing homes are expensive. It's cheaper to have parents live with you and have caregivers come into the house. Yes, to yes, it might be cheaper. I guess the question becomes, what is your house? How is your house configured? You know, can can you set it up to deal with the the needs of you know your your parents or your laws or whatever? It's these very difficult things right now. Jeff, this is happening right now in my life. My father-in-law was admitted to the hospital Saturday. He was told he would need to go to a nursing home when he's released from the hospital. He refused, and they're now working to set him up at home with in-home nursing care and my mother-in-law's care as best she can do. Um, it's, It's a it's a challenge. There's no question about it. Jeff, just so you know, not everybody that lives in assisted living in nursing homes is old. Well, that's true. My brother is 54. He's lived in a nursing home because he's paralyzed. And the isolation, isolation is really taking a toll, not only on him, but on our family. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I it, it, it's a very difficult sort of situation. There, there's no question about it. I guess the issue becomes, you know, where do we go from here? I think one of the trends you're going to see is that at least in the traditional nursing homes I think you're going to see the number of people admitted de- decline because of this there's always going to be a need for it though but but the idea of 100% occupancy in nursing homes I'm not sure you're going to see that anytime soon and you know all the new places being built uh, okay maybe maybe that was something that made sense 5 or 10 years ago and I guess on on paper yeah, people are getting older, there's going to be more need for senior housing. I'm just, I, I just, I'm not sure that th- you're going to have enough bodies to fill those those beds and to fill those spaces, given, I think, concerns that people have and maybe other alternatives that they might be willing to try. Um, well, that, that's the thing about getting old. It, it beats the alternative, but it's certainly, <laughs> there are certainly challenges. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: It's not the way President Trump should go out, and I'm not talking about the the beefing about the election. I'm talking about the refusal to recognize that, that Russia is not our friends. If you haven't been following the story, it's very apparent over the course of the last few weeks that we in this country have been the victim, the government has been the victim of a massive cyber attack which was launched by the Kremlin, which was launched by Russia, that infiltrated lots of, uh, of, of the agencies of government. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that in addition to the attacks on, on the government, the Russians ha- have also managed to launch an attack on as many as like 18,000 companies in the United States. This was a, a massive attack that went undetected for a number of months, and we still don't know the the extent of it. I mean, and, and a lot of the, the cyber analysts are saying it it could take months, it could take years to, to figure this this out. And um, you've got um, Mike. Pompeo, who is, of course, the secretary of state, um, you know, he's giving interviews and and he's acknowledging that the fact that, you know, we we know that this was the Russians that was behind the vast hack of the federal government and American industry. Okay, so we 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 know it was the Russians. The the Russians aren't our friends. Now, over the last several years, the Trump administration, I've been somebody who says, look, you know, to the extent we can figure out a way to get along with Russia one of the other superpowers in the world that's in our interest you know it doesn't need to be confrontational but of course the president has been incredibly deferential to the russians and the, the fact that he's downplayed the fact that the Russians, you know, hacked into, you know, tried to affect the 2016 election, arguably to get him elected instead of Hillary Clinton, I, I think it's always caused him to look at the Russians through rose-colored glasses. But but here's here's the bottom line. So after Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, says it was the Russians, you know, President Trump sends out a series of of tweets, you know, saying that, you know, there could have been a hit on our ridiculous voting machines during the election you know he he talks about how it everything's under control this might be exaggerated it could have been china all that stuff no it, it was it was the russians you can have your own opinions but you can't have your own facts the russians launched a major cyber attack on this country and by refusing to acknowledge this I don't think the president, I don't think President Trump does his legacy any favors. And candidly, he doesn't do, you know, President elect Joe Biden any favors because one of the first things that Biden is going to have to deal with is this whole situation. And you're going to have to figure out what are we going to do to the Russians in retaliation for them deciding that they're going to launch this large scale cyber attack. And there does have to be some degree of retaliation. It also emphasizes once again, the Russians are not our friends. The Russians have never been our friends. Is it in our interest to have a good relationship with them? Yeah. Is it our interest to have a, a good relationship with China? Sure. They're, they're major trade partners, etc., cetera, et cetera. But if you think you can trust them, if you think that they're not doing everything they can to undermine this country and our uh, again, our our Internet systems and all that, I, I think you're kind of delusional. And so it's disappointing to me that on the way out the door, the president still seems more interested in peddling these old uh, the, there could have been an attack. I, I clearly won the election than he is in recognizing the reality, which is that Vladimir Putin and the Russians launched a major and a successful cyber attack on this country. And something needs to be done to deal with this period. Okay, when we come back, we'll find out what's on tap with Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.